Welcome to the Sovereign Grace Church Sermons Podcast. Enjoy the sermon by Pastor Jason. Sovereign Grace Church is a Bible-based, gospel-centered church. Please enjoy. Alright, so I am excited for this set of text. Um... Because it's got a lot of really good stuff in it. And I, and I pray that we all grasp a lot out of this this morning. I want to begin with a quote by my favorite, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, As soon as a man finds Christ, he begins to find others. As soon as a man finds Christ, he begins to find others. This week's text, I think, is clear that this statement is accurate. Now hear the infallible, inspired Word of God. John 1, 35-51 The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Look, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly I I say to you, You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is infallible, inspired, and inerrant, and we can count on it. It is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, and they testify to supernatural events that directly line up with the prophecies of the Old Testament, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Moses and the prophets. We thank you for that. God, as we go forward into this, we ask that you would remove the veil that we may clearly see your Son revealed to us and see that desire to tell others. Holy Spirit, 
be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path as we walk through your word and journey into this. Let us retain it. Illuminate it for us that we may share with others. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So, here in these verses, we see the basis for this quote by Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, As soon as a man finds Christ, he begins to find others. We're actually seeing this in action in this set of verses, right? I mean, it's clear. We're clearly seeing it. And uh, these verses are all about men finding Christ and having to tell others about it. Like, you don't see somebody in this, in this verse finding Christ and they're done. They want to find another person and say, guess who we found? We've got him. That is truly the most accurate response to knowing Christ. I have to tell someone about this. This set of verses seems to be overlooked as I think on all of the sermons that I've heard. I can't recall ever hearing any type of topical sermon on this set of verses. I can't remember hearing much of anything about just this set of verses. Um, uh, you know, of course, expository sermons excluded because a good expositor is going to cover these verses as well, but you don't hear much about these sets of verses because this isn't this isn't some flashy text, right? There's no flashy miracles or cool things going on. This is actual just straight up what happened. It's it's it doesn't have any figurative language that we can twist it to mean something else or anything. This is actually just a tale of five men finding Jesus Christ. That's what happened. That's how it happened. And it's about how those men could not be quiet about it. I assure you, this text is full of some of the most beautiful concepts and themes in Scripture. And I'm, in fact, I'm going to give you the overall theme first. Because we've got several little, little smaller pieces of this theme that will help you to understand more clearly what's being done here. The overall theme is this. It is the testimony of Christ that truly grows the church and changes lives forever. It is the testimony of Christ that truly grows the church and changes lives forever. And we're going to dig into particular aspects of that overall theme. And it may not necessarily be like our usual deal. It's not going to be verse by verse, phrase by phrase in this. But I think the concepts will build one upon the other. And by the time we're done, we'll really see what John was, 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 was showing here about what happened with with Christ and the calling of these men to Him. First, I think, though, as a matter of kind of a preface, uh, let's look at one important moment in this. This is the first time in this Gospel. We've been on it, what, three weeks before now? This is the fourth week? This is the first time we've heard Jesus speak. This is the first time He's spoken. And what did He say? In verse 38, he said, What are you seeking? If we read too quickly and, and don't dig into what they say, we may just read that they said basically the equivalent, the equivalent to, Hey, we want to come hang out with you. We want to come to your house. Because that's kind of what it sounds like. You know, if you read through it, you don't stop. Take a moment and see what he's saying. Let's not miss what they actually say by putting it in modern vernacular in our in our own minds, right? Let's let's hear what they actually say. The first 
first word they say is actually truly indicative of what they are actually seeking. They say, Rabbi. They say, Teacher. What we need to understand is that previously, John the Baptist had been Rabbi to them. He had been the rabbi for these two men previously, not Jesus. You see, unlike what goes on nowadays, men in those days didn't call everybody who taught something rabbi. They followed their teacher, and he was their rabbi. So they have gone from having John the Baptist as their rabbi, and now suddenly what they're seeking is, we've got a new rabbi to follow. We want to be your disciples. They're desiring to follow Him. They want to learn about Him and they want to learn from Him. Right? Let me change this mic. It's driving me nuts. It's fuzzy. So, let's continue. Now with a mic that's not fuzzy in my ear. Um, so they're basically saying, okay, John has been our rabbi. But based on what John has just said, we want you to be our rabbi now. That's what they're actually seeking. They're not seeking just to go hang out with him. They're saying, you are now our teacher. We are now your disciples. We're going to follow you and we're going to listen to what you have to say. These are actually the first recorded converts to Christianity. They're the first followers of Christ. They're the first members of the Church of Jesus Christ. Not of Latter-day Saints, the Church of Jesus Christ. That's His church, right? Their conversion wasn't some awesome meet-the-Savior event, right? There were no flashing lights. There was no cool concert program. There was no dynamic speaking that happened. There wasn't even a single miracle done by Christ to make them want to be His disciples. Many think that miracles and stuff like this has to happen before you would convert to Christianity, before you would repent and trust in Christ. What was it that made them want to turn and leave their rabbi and follow a new rabbi. It was the testimony of Christ. As he is. That converted them. To be followers. Romans 1.16 says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God, the gospel is the very testimony of Jesus Christ. It is the means which God uses to draw people to Himself. The gospel. That brings us to the first supporting theme of that main theme. I want to read back to you verses 35 and 36. The next day, again, John was standing with the two of his disciples. 
And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, if you remember last week, John had literally, the day before, just proclaimed that this was the Lamb of God. This is the Christ. This is the Son of God. And we did not see any immediate results recorded based on what he said. It didn't say, and four of his followers left him and started following Jesus. It didn't say any of that. He had, the day before this had said, Behold the Lamb of God. The very same words. Yet today, the very next day, he again sees Jesus. And what does he say? The same thing. Behold the Lamb of God. So, this time, two of his disciples immediately walk out of his group and begin to follow Jesus. John said the very same thing the day before, and nothing had happened. The theme here is simple. The message doesn't change. Stick to the message. That's what John was doing. John had done said, he had already said, behold the Lamb of God one time. Nothing happened. Well, the next day, he sees the Lamb of God again, and he must proclaim the same message. Behold the Lamb of God. Look at Him. It's popular to say in our modern age that we change the method, but not the message. That's the modern church theme song. We change the method, not the message. I kind of agree with that to some extent. I do. Um, we've got technology now. I use a microphone to project my voice. I don't have to stand in an amphitheater for you to hear me. We, uh, we display song lyrics and Bible verses on the screen. Uh, we live stream our services for those who may be sick and can't be here. Um, I'm currently using an iPad as opposed to, as opposed to parchments um, to preach from. We have chairs, not rocks or stumps or wooden pews. Those are methods. Our message is Christ. We preach Christ and Him crucified. That cannot change. Period. We, we cannot stray from preaching Christ and Him crucified. John the Baptist is a clear example here. He preached the same message. And I venture to say if, if, if the narrative had followed John the Baptist and not Jesus, we probably would have seen him saying, Behold the Lamb of God every day, all day. Because his message was to preach Christ. In our, it, it, honestly, in our modern world, is, in our modern church world as we look at success, he was very unsuccessful with his message. He should have rebranded. Because only two people followed Jesus because he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Yet he did not change the message. This message is the Christ testified of in Scripture. Sadly, there are many who would change the message to get the results they desire. But the gospel does not need to be softened. The gospel does not need to be simplified so that anybody off the street can understand it. The gospel doesn't need to be turned into just Jesus loves you. 
We stick to the testimony of the true Christ. In fact, we will only understand how much He does love us by understanding the full truth of the gospel and the power of God unto salvation. <coughs> that Christ had to die to save us. Because we are born in sin. That our Creator has rights over us. These things we need to know. We need to know that we can't just be a good person. Because if we could just be a good person, we could go back to Leviticus and follow those laws and we'd be fine. But we can't even do that. They couldn't even do that. That is the full truth. The full truth of Christ is the message. We don't change the gospel. We don't change the message to fit the culture. John stuck to the message. We stick to the message. And we do not fit it to the culture. In sticking to that same message, we see John being the means with which we see the first two converts. Next, we begin to see men who have been given this testimony taking it to other men. And in doing this, what are they doing? They are exalting Christ. He is exalted scripturally when we testify of Him. That's how we exalt Him according to Scripture. We testify of Him, who He is, what He has done. Not just for me, what He has done for humanity. You see, when they go to talk and testify of Him to these other men, they aren't mentioning things that He did for them temporarily. They didn't talk about how they felt about it. They didn't go to... Andrew didn't go to uh, to Peter and say, Man, my back was killing me. He laid hands on me and I started feeling better. He didn't, And Philip didn't go and said, Man, when I went to him, I, I gave him $20 and next thing you know, somebody gave me a $100 bill. That's not their testimony. Their testimony is Christ and who He is. It is always the person, work, and scriptural truth of Christ. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. He is saying something deeply theological when he says that. John's two formal disciples call him Rabbi. They knew that he was the teacher they needed to follow. Andrew told Peter that Jesus was the Messiah, the one prophesied in Scripture. Philip had to find Nathaniel and tell him, We have found the one whom Moses and the law and also all the prophets wrote. They testified of Christ. They exalted Christ alone. Not anything else. They didn't talk about anything else but Christ. You see, because Christ, y'all ready for this? Christ was enough for them. He was what they had all been seeking. And through testimony of Him, they found Him. Scripture was their basis of all of this. Not their feelings or emotions. It was not just about enjoying Him, which I am sure that they did. If, as we read about Christ and the things that He said and the things He taught, the people that crowded around Him had to have enjoyed Him. Because it's, it, it had to have been a wonderful experience and to hear all this knowledge being given. 
they felt an urgency to tell others because they tied Jesus directly to all that they knew was prophesied in Scripture. This is the one. This is the one they talked us, told us about. This is the seed of the woman. This is the suffering servant. This is the Messiah who has come to take away our sins and, and, to, and to save us. Jesus was the fulfillment of Scripture, and they had to tell others. This was God the Son, who they glorified by testifying of who He was according to Scripture. That was what they did. They testified to who He was according to Scripture. They didn't need any other help than that. He, he didn't need any other help. Next we see in this text a few different methods to share the testimony of Christ. John the Baptist, he proclaimed a biblical theological truth about Christ, that he was the Lamb of God, shown throughout the Old Testament in, in types and shadows like we talked about last week. The, lamb, the ram in the thicket, that was a type and shadow of Christ. The, the Passover lamb, that was a type and shadow of Christ. Even the, the scapegoat was kind of a type and shadow. Andrew testified to Peter that Jesus was the Messiah come to save them. The Messiah prophesied in Scripture. Philip literally followed the words and call of Christ to follow him. Jesus said to Philip, follow me. And you know what he did? He followed him. That same call is coming to men today from the Holy Spirit to follow Christ. Philip heard the words of Christ and could do nothing else but follow him. There was no other choice for Philip. He had to follow Him. And we have access to His words contained right here in our Bibles. We can see exactly what Jesus said. Philip went to Nathanael and testified of Him that Jesus was the fulfillment of Scripture. This is the true use of theology in the testimony of Christ. People want to throw out theology. When they try to testify of Christ or they try to reach the lost, if we don't have the theology of who Christ is, we cannot testify to people who the real Christ is and what He can do for us. That we can be saved through Him. We need to know who He is and how He can be, we can be saved through Him. The methods here are all different. They do have one common thread though. Christ is the preeminent thing. Christ is the most important thing they talk about. And these men were testifying of Jesus Christ. Don't often quote Catholic saints, but I'm going to quote one now. St. Francis of Assisi is credited with saying, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. He's the one that's credited with it. Whether he said it, well, we don't know. But he's credited with it. And I'm going to say something that's ridiculous and unbiblical. That's why I don't know if he said it or not, because it sounds like something more made up in our, in our day than that. You see, to preach the gospel and use words if necessary is absolutely against what the Bible talks about as the gospel. Understand me clearly, we don't do the gospel. The gospel must be preached. It must be shared. It must be testified or read. It absolutely involves words coming out of people's mouth or written on pages. That is the gospel. That's the method that grows the church as Christ intended. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith doesn't come by doing and doing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, the power of God unto salvation must be preached. It is what changes lives. So the method, though one method may look different than the other, the method is always to preach Christ and testify of Christ. The method isn't a cool program. The method isn't hip songs. It isn't awesome light shows or kids programs or trendy teachers who dress cool or outreaches or even fun events. Some of these things are not bad at their root. We're going to be doing an event here in, at the end of the month. Not bad at its root. As long as they are only used correctly. That they're not used in the place as a replacement for the gospel. The problem in the visible church, especially in America, has come to rely on these things that are opposed to the testimony of Christ. They, they, they rely on the programs and the cool things and the events and all these other things. They rely on that and they stop relying on the testimony of Christ as what fills their churches. The message has changed along with the method in a lot of churches. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said another very important thing about this. He says, if you have to give a carnival to get people to come to church, then you will have to keep giving them carnivals to keep them coming back. And what do we see? That's absolutely true. We cannot leave the message behind for the event. What if Andrew had said to Peter, what if we had read this as the testimony of Andrew to Peter? You have to come with me. We have an awesome kids' church. What if John the Baptist had said, Behold, this guy's a dynamic communicator and a very trendy dresser. What if Philip had said, Nathaniel, our service is super casual and the music is banging. You should see the lights. Yet, this is how we see people attracted to the church in 2021. And it is making church a joke around the world. When you've got men and women in Africa being jerked out of hidden churches to be beheaded in front of people. And yet, we won't come to church unless they got an awesome kids program. Or unless the music is just like we like. Or if the lights dim out and it looks awesome. Or if the preacher is super cool and a great communicator. And these men are sneaking Bibles into places that are hidden and constantly in fear of their lives. We are a joke. We need to repent. We are called to compel others to come to Christ. I want you to hear me what comes next. We are called to call others, to compel others to come to Christ, not to the visible church. We are called to get them to come to Christ, not to get them to come to church. We call them to repentance and not to so-called worship experiences or weekly gatherings. 
we preach Christ crucified and not church modernized. We preach Christ crucified and not church modernized. We should be ashamed. We should be. No wonder most church attendees in the U.S. only go once every four to six weeks. Because that's when the program is, right? We must testify of Christ. That is how we see lives changed and how the church can grow scripturally. Churches that do that may not be busting at the seams with people. But it is how we remain faithful to what Christ taught. The true church has one message. And that message isn't love God, love people. It isn't you are more than enough. It isn't you are awesome. It isn't this is living. It is the gospel. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the church's one message. That's why we strive here to be a gospel-based church that preaches Jesus Christ crucified. We don't need anything else. We also see another thing in this text that may be missed if we don't slow down. We need to slow down. Philip went to Nathaniel, and this is how it, it talks about what happened. From verse 45 to verse 51 it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus said something to Nathanael that Jesus doesn't just hand out. He said to Nathanael, Look, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So Nathanael had been living a life of holiness. He had not caved into the pharisaical system of traditions. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone was his guide in life. The very scripture that Nathaniel had trusted as his guide led him straight to the fulfillment of Scripture. And because he knew Scripture, he confessed Christ as the Son of God. Christ was the reward of his true faith. Christ was his reward. Nathaniel had been faithful to the word of God. And he trusted. And he was living a life the best he could, a holy life. And because of that, he was led straight to the fulfillment of Scripture, Jesus Christ. That's where the Bible will lead us, by the way. We live in the word and focus on the word and the truth. We will one day see Christ face to face. And we will be able to lead others to Him in a real life change. To live a life like Nathaniel is a good thing. Seeking after holiness is a very good thing. Regardless of the prevailing thought of church culture. 
that we must live messy lives and give ourselves grace and our failures don't define us. All these things, regardless of those things, a life of holiness and seeking God and His Word is what God truly desires of us. We aren't called to live messy lives. We're called to live lives led by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're called to let God give us His grace. To depend solely upon Him. Not to sweep our own failures under the rug and our own sin, which is what it is, under the rug, but to confess it to Him and be forgiven. That's what we're called to do. And that's what living a life of holiness will lead us to. There's one last thing that we must look at, I think, in this text. It's not given in this text, but I think it's something we should look at. The men in this text continued living their lives after these moments. You know, they followed Jesus. They were in the, in the upper room when they had the Lord's Supper. They saw Him crucified. They ran away, and then they were brought back together on the day of Pentecost. But they continued living their lives. These men who first came to Christ simply because of a testimony of who He was and a scriptural exaltation of Him, this is what they ended up doing in their lives. This is the effect of the testimony of Christ on how they lived the rest of their lives. Philip, he actually appears in Acts chapter 8 and helps the Ethiopian eunuch understand the scripture, and he actually baptizes him. Then later on, he went on to minister the gospel in North Africa and Asia Minor. This is how much he cared about the gospel. He converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. That's one of their big dudes, one of their governor-type people. Knowing it would probably cost him everything, he converted her. And he was arrested and killed for it. For the gospel, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Nathaniel, he's later referred to as Bartholomew. He traveled to India with Thomas, preaching the gospel. And he later went to Armenia, and then Ethiopia, and southern Arabia. He preached the gospel all over the place. And he was either skinned alive or beheaded for the sake of the gospel by the king of Armenia. He poured out all he had because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Andrew, I thought this was cool, Andrew actually went to the Soviet Union, which was formerly called, y'all ready for this? Tell me if it makes y'all want to move to the Soviet Union. The land of the man-eaters. That's what they called it. He was the first to bring the gospel there. He also went to Asia Minor, to Turkey, and to Greece. He was later crucified. And it's testified of him that as he was walking up the hill towards a cross to be nailed to, he started testifying of the beauty of that cross because that is the same type of cross in which his Savior died. Peter preached the gospel first in Acts. He preached throughout the Roman Empire. He planted churches. He is widely believed to, be, to have been the one who 
dictated the Gospel of Mark. If you ever wonder why the Gospel of Mark is so abrupt and everything happened immediately, they're pretty sure that Peter is the one who dictated to Mark the Gospel. And Peter, as we can tell from his interactions in, 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 the, in the Bible, is a pretty abrupt kind of guy. Um, and they also tie it kind of back to the first, first and second Peter. They decide that he was crucified upside down per his own request because he didn't feel worthy to suffer the same death as the one he loved most, Jesus Christ. Those who hate our religion will say that it was all made up. Men don't do this for something made up. They don't invest their life, their blood, their treasure, their everything in something that's fake. They knew the real Christ. Why would these men dedicate their lives to Christ and the spread of the gospel? Because Christ was their all. Nothing else mattered when compared with Him. I'm reminded of an interaction in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69 says this. After this, Jesus had just talked about, basically talking about the Lord's Supper, how you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. And He told Him many other things. After this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So people left Jesus too. So Jesus said to the twelve, among whom these men we're talking about were, were seated. He turned to the twelve and he says, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else could they go? What else could they do? They had in front of them, literally, the word of life. The hope and the truth. Christ is hope. Christ is truth. And he's seated in front of them. And as the others walked away, these twelve who knew him best said, No, we don't have anywhere else to go but to you. And they lived their life in such a way that showed forth the glory of the one they love best. No modern church program can take the place of Jesus Christ and who's and, 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 and Him crucified. Nothing we can do, no event we can have can take the place of the gospel. How can I say all this? Am I running down other churches intentionally? I say this because I have been there. I have been caught up in church growth as the measure of success. I have been caught up trying to come up with new events to attract people. And I've repented to you guys, I think, multiple times over that stuff. I say this because I've been there. And now I know that Christ is the only hope of salvation to the lost. He is the only hope in this life for those who are in Him. We can have all the programs in the world. We can make everything awesome. We can rename everything. But if you don't have Christ, you don't have anything in your church to offer. We want Christ. So,
as a point of application, I would ask, first of all, much like Jesus asked the two guys who left John, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Let's go over a few things that I think we should all be seeking in our daily lives. The first thing we should be seeking is to have a strong desire in our lives to tell others of Christ. The hope that is within us needs to come out of our mouth every once in a while. We need to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what has been done through the cross and how, Cre how Jesus Christ has taken our place. The second thing that we should be seeking is this, to be rooted and grounded in the same message that we see changing the lives of these men. That same message, the testimony of Christ, that Christ is the fulfillment, that He is the Word, that He is God made flesh. The third thing that I think we should be seeking is to exalt Christ by testifying of who He is. In order to know who He is, we've got to learn who He is. And if we testify of who He really is, we exalt Him every day. The fourth thing is to never be distracted by any other methods to grow a church. We will be doing the trick-or-treat on the 30th for the, for the town. Our measure of success will not be whether somebody comes in our church because of us giving candy, because we're going to be doing more than that. I plan on us having a jar set up to be taking donations for preborn.org so we can end abortion in our country. I also plan on us having tracts and pamphlets and books and talking to people about the gospel. That's why we're going to be out there. It's not to grow this church. It's to testify of Christ. That's what we're out there for. No other reason. The fifth thing is to seek to live a life of holiness and trust the Word of God. It, what He has said in His Word is true. We can count on it. And the last thing that we need to seek is this. To live a life poured out in sharing the true gospel. Pour it out. These men poured their lives out to the very blood end of their lives just sharing the gospel with others. Not some extraordinary famous life where we uh, are remembered for generations. Let's preach the gospel, die and be forgotten if we have to, but let's just preach the gospel. Live your ordinary life in prayer in the Word, in church fellowship, in family worship, in all of these things that do make a difference in eternity. Not your fame. His fame. Because if you live that kind of ordinary life, you will live a life fulfilled. You can go to and hear anytime you want to. All you got to do is turn on TV, church TV, and you can see Somebody up there trying to tell you that God has something great for you. You're going to live an extraordinary life. You've got to do this, 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 and this. You're not going to get that from me because Christ is your fulfilled life. Christ is your life. Live your life fulfilled in Christ and you will have the best ordinary life in the world. I end here with another quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, Let this be to you the mark of true gospel preaching 
where Christ is everything, and the creature is nothing, where it is salvation, all of grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit, applying to the soul the precious blood of Jesus. That is where we see the gospel fulfilled. We don't need carnivals and shows. We need Christ. Matthew 6.33 puts it very clearly and very plainly. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek Him first. Testify of Christ first. That is the most important thing. Let us pray. Father, we pray that this word that we've heard about these men who have testified of Christ and had their lives changed forever, who poured out their lives as, a, as an offering before you, they lived a life as a living sacrifice. Let these words that we've heard this morning change our hearts and who we are. Let it get down to the deep levels of who we are and be something that is fundamentally a difference in our lives because of it. God, we know that in you we have all hope, all glory and all worship available. So we want to live a life of worship to you. Help us to do that. Father, I ask if anybody who is not in Christ hears this, that it be a torture to them, that it be a cut to the heart, that it be something that changes them internally, that as they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached, let them be cut to the heart, that they must repent and trust in Him. Sinner, run to Christ. He is your only hope. Outside of Him, you have none. God, we thank you so much. And I ask that you would be with us the rest of this day as we go through our walk on this Lord's day. In Christ's name, amen. So as we uh, go into the announcements, uh, we've been putting a lot of stuff on uh, on GroupMe to try and get everything kind of organized. Uh, we have decided to not do the Caledonia Day hot dog deal. One of the main reasons is, is because the more I think about it, the more I think that there are going to be people just parking in and out, and it's going to be really hard for us to really accomplish much of anything. Also, because I'd like for us to really put more of a focus on that 30th, when we'll be able to kind of be one-on-one -on -one with a lot of people in our own community. I think that would be the best use of our time. So let's, uh, let's only worry about trying to find candy like buying candy and donating candy let's get up a lot of candy for that um, also we're going to do the decoration thing so if you've got decorations at home if you want to buy a five dollar bale of hay anything like that we're going to decorate out here uh, feel free to bring it let casey know and the and the group me so that we can get that organized as well um, like i said at um at the trick-or-treat for the uh for the community we're going to Yes, we're going to give out candy, we may do some other things on the fun side, but we are going to have a jar um, and we're going to let people know about what preborn.org does, how it, it lets uh, women have free ultrasounds and 80% of women who see an ultrasound of their baby do not go through with an abortion, so we want to give them that chance and uh, $28 and you have, you have paid for one. So we'll let our community know about that and if they want to give to that, they're free to give if they want to get more information and look it up themselves they can they can do that we also um, are going to have a few tracks uh, we've got several of the book what color what, what time is purple um, it's a book that takes Christianity on an intellectual level so if you get an intellectual atheist 
it's a very good book to give them say, hey, I know this book isn't long. Give it a read, see if you have any questions after this book. And also, we may just be talking to people about the gospel. So, um, not to promote the church, to promote Jesus Christ, because that is the most important thing. And if they come to our church to hear the gospel, that's good. We got some extra seats ready for them. So, uh, but that's 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 why we came to Caledonia was to reach people with the gospel. So, that's why we're here. Um, also, remember uh, Wednesday night, seven p.m. We're going to continue on the last little bit of our. Uh,